I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to formality in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking these words to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand that will happen to your people in the later days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken much words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the Son of Man touched my lips, then opened my mouth and spoke, saying to me, Who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. From how can this servant of my Lord talk with you? My Lord, as for me, no strength remains in me now, nor in any breath left in me. Then again, the one having all likeness of the man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I came to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I have begun forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against thee except Michael, your prince. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for the freedom that we have to gather here, Lord, and to uh, just uh, share and fellowship and be be here, Lord, to worship freely. Lord, I just ask for uh, the anointing of Jackie and his message today, Lord God. Please open up our ears, Lord, to hear. Please keep our minds alert and our hearts willing, Lord God. I just pray that uh, you just move here in a mighty way and that uh, we just uh, love like you teach us to love, Lord God, and help us to see like you see, Lord. I just pray for uh, just a great afternoon uh, down at the river, Lord, and just uh, just let us come together and be here with you in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? So as we begin Daniel chapter 10, I promise to upset at least half of you, maybe. Maybe more, we'll see. But um, when I come to Daniel chapter 10 and I look at the scriptures, one of the great challenges that I think as Bible teachers and guys studying the word that we have to do and why that class Jason was talking about that we're doing, living by the word, is, was so vital is because it's the Word of God that should inform our theology, not the other way around. Okay, I want you to understand, theology matters. Theology is, is our view of God. It's the study of God. It's how we understand and know God. And the, the ultimate for that, our principium ascendi, 
our ultimate foundation is the Word of God. So the Word of God informs our theology. And what I'm going to challenge you with is that sometimes we get that backwards. And we have a theology and we come to the Scripture like this and it don't fit. We say, oh, I don't know if this fits my theology. I don't know if this fits my understanding. I hope it will challenge you to understand and want to know the Word of God more, to grow in, in comprehending it, but to recognize and realize that's all our responsibility, to let the Word of God inform us, teach us, guide us, lead us, show us the way. So we have in Daniel chapter 10 what I believe is the vision of Messiah. And as we come to look at it, there are other views. I won't pretend that they're, they're not. Many of you have probably heard uh, um, the, the, the idea that what we're looking at is a vision of Gabriel. It's just a vision of an angel. But we're going to let the Word of God inform us. And uh, if at the end you're, you still feel that way, hallelujah. We still praise the same Jesus together, can't we? So as we look at the Word, but I want you to come to the Word and let the Word tell you what's going on. Fair? Let's look at it. Daniel 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. The message was true, and the appointed time was long. And he understood the message, and had understanding of the vision. So in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So what happens in the book of Daniel? Daniel chapter 10 is the last vision. The rest of the book is about this vision. Daniel 10, Daniel 11, Daniel 12. And when Daniel saw this vision laid out before him, God gifted him with the, the really this incredible view for Daniel's future, for us history and future, but as he looked at it, it freaked him out so bad. He, it says he saw it, he understood it, and he was in mourning for three full weeks. You ever heard the word of the Lord and it drive you to mourning? It's probably one of the things our nation needs more than anything else right now, is to hear the word of the Lord and allow it to drive them to mourning into an attitude of repentance to get their hearts and lives aligned with God's and aligned with God's word. So, so Daniel, here's something now. What we know of about this vision, and we'll see it as we look in a moment, that this is about his people. We saw that in Daniel chapter 9, the 70 weeks, and we spent several weeks looking at that. But we're still dealing with his people, the nation of Israel. And I'm going to give you some information today, if, hopefully, you know, sometimes I don't get the whole chapter done. So you won't hold that against me, right? So, yeah, it's shocking. <clears throat> but I want to give you some information to hopefully maybe help, help you understand why that's all going on. So what do we see? Here's the effect of the vision on Daniel. It causes him to freak out. He's in mourning. He goes into a fast, roughly three weeks long. We know that he receives it in his old age, the third year of King Cyrus. <clears throat> so we know... Daniel already could have left, went back to Israel, but he didn't go. He stayed. He had a purpose to fulfill. Maybe his heart's desire was to be in Israel with those who went back in the first wave, returning to the land, trying to rebuild. But 
he stayed. He felt like God had something for him to accomplish. So we know he's about 85 years old, give or take. Still receiving words from the Lord. Still moving forward in ministry. We also know that this vision reveals that this struggle is long. Don't lose sight of that, guys. What did it say? The message was true, and the appointed time was long. It's not some short gig. It's not some quick deal. Right? He's seeing a big picture. Daniel's gifted to see this big picture. And what we understand about this long struggle is it's going to be a long, difficult time with much trouble for the nation of Israel. One long prophecy, 10, 11, and 12. So hold your place here. Flip over to 12. I'm going to give you a quick rundown through 12. Don't worry, we'll come back to 12 and and do it as we work our way through. But I want you to get the picture, the overall scene of what's going on with Daniel. So we look at Daniel chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. He says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and one on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered... All these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. And I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So we see the prophecy. We're looking forward, right? We're looking forward. We're looking ahead. He's saying, Daniel, it's not for you. It's not your time. Write the words. We're looking ahead. Verse 13, he says, But go your way till the end. For you shall rest, and will arise to your inheritance, what's it say? At the end of days. From Daniel 12, 13, most uh, Bible teachers believe that the the, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints takes place just prior to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. To the rule and reign of His kingdom. That's post-Armageddon. post That battle, the setting up of the kingdom, the resurrection of the saints occurs at that time. So what he's telling Daniel, you're going to arise when? The end of days. At the end of days, at the end, when this is over. Now back up, look at chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. What's it telling us? At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even until that time and at that time your people shall be delivered everyone who is found written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life some to shame and everlasting contempt those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn uh, many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever so what are the end of these things? The, the culmination of this vision that we're going to be looking at in the next several weeks. It's going to have the resurrection of the Old Testament believers and the setting up 
of the kingdom of God. And he already told us that from one moment there's going to be time, times, and a half time. In the book of Revelation, we have that same phrase repeated for us. We also have the idea in a moment of 1260, 1290, 42 months, 1335 days. The Bible gives us a lot of numbers looking at this last period of time leading up to the end of days and the resurrection of the Old Testament saints and the setting up of the kingdom of God. This is what this section is all about that we, that we are going to glean from. Now look again, Daniel 12, 11 and 12. It says, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was on the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, so we're back at the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man... <clears throat> oh, let me back up. Hold on. Daniel 12, 11. And from that time, the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up. There will be 1,290 days. So he's, remember Daniel chapter 9. He gives us a lot of kickoff points. Remember? From the decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem to the Messiah. You guys remember? He gives us a start point and the number of days. What's he tell us? From the abomination of desolation. What did Daniel tell us about the abomination of desolation? He said that there's going to be a world leader who's going to rise up, which indicates that the temple's got to be rebuilt. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us the son of perdition, this Antichrist, has to stand in the Holy of Holies and pronounce himself as God. That didn't happen in 70 AD. It didn't happen. You, you, you have to go all the way back to Antiochus Epiphany, which we'll talk about when we get to chapter 11. <clears throat> but what he's looking forward to, it can't be Antiochus, by the way. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 was written several hundred years after Antiochus. He's looking at a future event. He's going to stand in the Holy of Holies. It's called the abomination of desolation. Jesus referred to it in Matthew chapter 24. What did he say? When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, get out of town. That's a paraphrase. Get out of town. Leave. What does Daniel tell us? From that moment of the abomination of desolation, 1,290 days. 1,290 days to what? Three and a half years is 1,260 days. We got an extra 30 days. And then, just, just in case you were confused by that, look at verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But not 75 days later. What in the world is going on? Listen, from the abomination of desolation, through the coming of the Lord, there will be 1,260 days. Abomination of desolation till Jesus' second coming, 1,260 days. Bible tells us about it, three and a half years. Then, from that to the resurrection of the Old Testament saints and the judgment of the nations, 30 more days. 30 more days, and you'll have, during that period of time, the judgment of the nations, Matthew 25, separation of the sheep and the goats, and you'll have the Old Testament, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints, marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to see those events take place. From 1290 days to 1335, that's the setting up of the kingdom, the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on earth. So you have 1260 to the return of Christ, 1290 takes us to the resurrection of the Old Testament saints, and the completion of the judgment of the nations. 1335 brings us to day one of a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on earth. 
Daniel lays it out for us. All we have to do is decide that we're going to hear it. We're going to see it. So, I want you to understand, the Word of God tells us that Daniel, <clears throat> he recognized the, the, the vision. He, he saw it, but he didn't completely understand it. And it's, and it's a, a lot of bad news if you're a Jewish guy, right? You know, put yourself in Daniel's... He's, gonna, <clears throat> he's just seeing his people go back. And he's thinking, here we go, we're going to go on now to, to perfection and things are going to be better. But he has a vision that says, man, we're, we're, we're in for misery after misery after misery until the end of days. That wouldn't make you mourn? I think sometimes we're, we're um, sissies. I don't know, there's probably a better word, but that's the one that came to mind. Because, you know, we look at stuff, hard things happen in our life. And I'm not saying they're not hard. Absolutely they're hard. But sometimes those hard things come into our life and we're so upset and frustrated because something hard happened in our life. And we don't consider these great saints of Scripture who, who, who their life was a struggle all the way through to the end. The end is the prize. We were never promised a prize here. The end is the prize. When we see Jesus face to face, when we get the greatest treasure of all time, we get Him. And so we want to have, we want to have hearts that don't fail at the, at the first sign of trouble or struggle or difficulty. But to recognize that God says He's working out an eternal weight of glory in our lives, right? He's got purpose and plans that He's bringing about we can hold on to. Now, I'm not, that doesn't mean that you can't feel pain, you can't feel hurt. Oh, absolutely you can. That's why we have a God who's acquainted with sorrows. That's why the Bible calls Him the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yeah, so keep in mind, Jesus doesn't ask us to walk a road He didn't walk. And He doesn't ask us to walk a road that He won't empower us to do you with me so we want to be able to hold on to that so daniel his heart is 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 upset and he's and then he has this encounter with a man in white linen a man in white linen let's look at it so on the 24th day of the first month while i was by the side of the great river that is the tigris i lifted my eyes and looked behold a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. So when we look at this character, there's, there's, there's no end of opinion in Scripture of who this is. And I've, as I've shared with people before, I'd never mind if someone wants to be wrong. It's okay with me. If you want to have, if you want to have a, a different view, but I'm going to share with you why I believe that what, what he's seeing is a vision of Messiah. So I want to share that with you. I see here reflected in this vision the glory of our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus prayed in John 17, "Lord, Father, glorify me with the glory which I had when before the world was." So Jesus in His glory. And if we hold our finger here and flip over to a book about the unveiling of Jesus Christ, it's Revelation chapter 1, which uh, if all things hold true, I'll be starting not this Wednesday, but next. So this Wednesday I'm going to finish Psalms. 
Uh, and then the following Wednesday, we'll start Revelation. We look at Revelation chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 12. Chapter 1 of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the revealing of who He is, what He looks like, what He's like. This is post-resurrection Christ. This is, this is um, the lion after the lamb. Does that make sense to you guys? Because Jesus came as a lamb, and He gave Himself as a sacrifice for whosoever will lay hold of, by faith, that which He's done for us, and receive that by faith, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Repent from our sins, hold fast to Him. Hey, He's our Lamb. But that's the only time He comes as a Lamb. Revelation chapter 1, you have a vision of the lion. Take a look at it, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were like were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His voice like the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Who's talking? No question about who's talking, guys. Yahweh is talking. This is Almighty God speaking. You, several chapters in, in Isaiah form this for us. But look what else he says in verse 18. I am he who lives, was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. We know who that is. Yeshua. That's Jesus. That's the Messiah. Almighty God in the flesh, Yahweh in the flesh, Jesus, the first and the last, who was dead, and I am alive again forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. So we see this revelation, this unveiling of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1 is very similar to what we see in Daniel chapter 10. Very eerily similar. In fact, there would be no discussion except for a phrase we're going to get to in a moment where this person speaking says, I needed help from Michael to get, a, get away from the prince of Persia. That's where we all go, what? Jesus don't need no help from nobody. What's going on? Well, it can't be Jesus then. This must be someone else. Just hold that thought for a minute. You guys remember... Jesus was baptized and he went out into the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights, yeah? The Bible tells that the devil was tempting him uh, all the while. We know that there were three specific temptations that we read about. And after those temptations, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says he was, he was wiped out, he was hungry, and what happened? Angels came and ministered to him. Well, Jesus need angels? You don't need no angels. He could just make himself feel better, right? He's God. But doesn't God use all the things he has within his creation to fulfill his purpose? He didn't need the angels, but the angels came. And they ministered to him. He doesn't need us, but he asks us to share the gospel, doesn't he? There are a lot of things that, that God does because it is a decreed part 
of his plan and purpose. Just hold on to that idea, mull it around in your brain as we work our way to that point. Okay, now we take a look in Revelation, or I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 10. Let's go back. Verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But what happened to those guys? It says, great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. I wonder if there's something like that in the Bible someplace. There is. You're right. You guys knew I was leading you that way, right? Hold your finger there. Flip over to Revelation again. Remember I told you, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you've got to understand the book of Daniel. You want to understand the book of Daniel, you've got to understand the book of Revelation. We flip over to Revelation, and we look at Revelation chapter 6. Now you remember, I gave you guys a quick outline on Revelation. Look, I can teach the whole book of Revelation maybe in a minute. There's not a second hand up there, so I could be wrong. Revelation chapter 1, the unveiling, the vision of Jesus Christ. We just talked about that a moment ago. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches, which spans not only all of church history, but spans every type of church we see in the world today. Chapter 4 and 5 is the church in heaven singing the song of the redeemed. Chapter 6 through 19 is the tribulation period, beginning with the opening of the seals, culminating in the return of Christ in Revelation chapter 19. The battle of Armageddon, Revelation chapter 20, is the kingdom of Jesus Christ, where he rules and reigns for a thousand years. It comes to a close after a thousand years with the rebellion of mankind once again against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That rebellion is put down with, without even a word, and man finds himself standing before the great white throne. Revelation chapter 21, we have the, the, the or chapter 20, we have the great white throne judgment. Chapter 21 and 22, new heaven and a new earth, and we all live happily ever after. That's pretty close to a minute, right? So, that gives us a, an overview, okay? That's the book of Revelation. So chapter 6, we're looking at the beginning of the tribulation period. <clears throat> that final 7 out of the 70 weeks of Daniel, from Daniel chapter 9. It begins, we come toward the end of Revelation chapter 6, and it says in verse 15, And the kings of the earth... The great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free. So that's pretty much everybody left, right? We got kings, great, rich, slaves, and free. This should cover all categories of men. These are all men who are in opposition to the Lord. These are not believers. What's taking place is a judgment of God on a Christ-rejecting world. What happened to them? It says, They hid themselves in the caves, in the rocks of the mountains. They said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb. By the way, that and connects the same being. You understand? That word and connects the same being. What's that mean? The one who sits on the throne is the Lamb. Connects the same. So he who sits on the throne and from the what? Wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. So the very first seals are opened in chapter 6 and already what's it called? The wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. So we have the wrath of God being poured out. Now what do we see about these guys when... 
when the wrath of God is poured out, when the presence of God is in that place, what they do? Hide. Get in a cave. Get under a rock. Keep me away from his presence. I don't want to be with him. What happens to Daniel's friends when this being comes? They are filled with terror. They want to flee. They want to run. They want to get away. Look, you and I, when we meet Jesus Christ, are going to have the same thing, only we're not going to run away. What are we going to do? We're going to fall on our face. How do I know that? Because that's what Daniel did. How else do I know that's what John did? You're going to see both those examples in just a minute. What did they do when they met this being, this Jesus of Nazareth? They fell on their face as dead before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So let's take a look again as we continue this unveiling in Daniel chapter 10 verse 8. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision. No strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. And I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Now remember what John said when he saw Jesus? I fell down before him as dead. What's Daniel describing right here? I lost all my strength. I could not stand. I could not move. I'm on my face. I could hear him. But I, but I was, in the least, it's a, it's a picture of death. Laying there on the ground, not able to move. Now what happened to John when he was in that place? What did Jesus do to John? He touched him. What happens to Daniel? Well, I don't know. Let's take a look. Let's see what happens to Daniel. It says, Daniel, uh, verse 10, Suddenly a hand touched me and made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hand. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. Don't you hear the message that God's still giving? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He reaches down to Daniel, he touches him and he says, man. I love you. Greatly beloved. What is it that they called John? Remember the disciples, the story of the disciples? Everybody had nicknames, right? We know how that works. What was John's nickname? He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Greatly beloved. Greatly beloved. What what do they both have in common? They're both given vision of Jesus Christ. They were both given a vision of the end of days. Two guys, Daniel and John, standing before this one clothed in white linen. And I believe it's a, it's, a, it's a picture of our resurrected Savior. Oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And we come into the explanation of the vision. So, Daniel's trembling, and this, Jesus is about to tell him. Jesus is about to say, look, here's what this vision is all about. The reason I think this is so vital is because we see the exact same picture in Revelation. What was the end time revealing? It was the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Yeshua, the salvation of God. How God ties it all up in a bow. And that's the same thing, the same vision that God is giving to Daniel at the same time. 
So here's what we see about this vision. It really freaked out Daniel, right? He greatly afraid, doesn't eat for three weeks. But you know, in Psalm 29, it tells us, in Psalm 29, uh, pretty much the whole psalm, but look at verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the water. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. It's all the Psalms talking about the explosive power of the voice of God. And the things, you know, that's the same voice that said, let there be light and light was, right? The voice of God, the sound of many waters, the sound of a multitude. And, and so we see it causes Daniel to be afraid. But look at verse 12. Then he said to me, <clears throat> Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. So the moment Daniel prayed, when did that happen? Three weeks prior. At least three full weeks earlier, Daniel began to fast and pray to, to understand, to deal with the mourning that he had over this vision. And so from that moment, the answer was, was coming. The answer was moving forward. So we know that this vision and what we're reading is a response to Daniel's prayer. He's given us insight. The Lord God is giving us insight, guys, into a spiritual battlefield that most of us spend a lot of our life not really considering. What do I mean? I mean, all of creation is not just made up of you and me. There were, there were other beings at creation. You know that, right? Job tells us that the, that the sons of God, the Beni Elohim, were, were applauding as God was creating. So that tells me that the angels were already there. That God created the angels. So we have angels that, that live in this universe with us. Maybe some of us had experiences with them. Maybe, maybe some haven't. doesn't mean that they're not there. We know of those angels, there are two different kinds, at least, right? Elect and evil. The evil angels, we know, are those who followed Satan's rebellion. The elect are those who stood with the Lord. The Bible clearly indicates that two-thirds stood with Jesus and one-third fell. Now... Two-thirds of an innumerable host and one-third of an innumerable host is still a lot of beings, isn't it? What are all those things? What are they doing? What's happening? See, here in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's kind of parting the veil and allowing us to see into spiritual warfare. What's happening behind the scenes. So in answer to Daniel's prayer, uh, Messiah comes to give that answer. But look what it says in verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with, uh, what's the next phrase? Kings. Whoa, what was it earlier? Prince. Wasn't it prince? Now kings. Prince. Kings. What is it Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Right? Didn't he say that? He said principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age. There's at least three different categories, right? 
So sometimes we picture angels, we think they're all the same, but the, the Bible doesn't teach that they're all the same. We know there are archangels, and now you know there are princes. Now you really want to melt your gourd? <laughs> Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel 28. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, both are scriptures that most people believe are discussing the fall of Lucifer, the fall of Satan. <clears throat> but you know what he's described as? The prince. One talks about the king of Babylon. And one talks about the prince of Tyre. I'm pretty sure it's the prince of Tyre. So you have at least some measure, some difference. And there's some kind of spiritual warfare going on. There's some kind of spiritual thing going on. Now, <clears throat> when we came to this, I told you, look, I want you to understand that sometimes God decrees certain events to happen. What do I mean? Okay. Oh, there's, there's, go to, go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to open up a can of worms. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8. Most of you, myself included, we have New King James. It's not going to say this in yours. What it says on the, on the screen, I'll explain in, in just a second. But, Deuteronomy chapter 32 is a rehearsal of the history of creation, what happened after creation. And there's an event that Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 8 is talking about. Now if you guys think back with me in the book of Genesis, you'll remember there was a period of time when all men had a common tongue. You remember? And all men had one goal, right? Rebellion against God. And all those men with this one goal of rebellion against God were building... A, a ziggurat, right? A, a, a tower to heaven. And then the Bible says that God did what? Confused their language and mankind dispersed. Now there's a variety of people who say, Oh, come on. I don't know if that really happened. Didn't really happen. I don't know. Doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not sure. When you come to Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 8. Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 says what is on the screen. So when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, we're talking about the dividing according to the tongues. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the sons of God. Most of our New King James versions say sons of Israel. Okay, let me help you guys. Israel didn't exist at the Tower of Babel. There were no sons of Israel. The word... Remember I told you what, do you, what do you need to inform your theology? What informs our theology? The Word of God. What's the Word of God say? Beni Elohim. The Beni Elohim from Genesis chapter 6. The Beni Elohim from Job chapter 38. The Beni Elohim here in Deuteronomy 8, uh, uh, 32, 8. The Beni Elohim, the sons of God. Uh, um, interpreted for us by the Septuagint as angels. So God says when he divides the nations in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 8, that that division, remember they confused their tongue? The division, the inheritance, as the nations scattered, he numbered those nations according to the sons of God. What do I mean? I mean that there was an angelic being that went with each nation. And later on in the Bible, when we read it, we read it like this. The prince of Persia, the king of Babylon, the prince of Tyre, 
What am I saying? That there was an angelic being that had sway over the nations. Every single nation. What was the heart of all mankind in Deuteronomy 32? All mankind was rebellion against God. I don't want you. I don't want you. We don't want you. We don't want you. We don't want you. Fine. We divide the people and he sends out different angels. Some perhaps elect, some perhaps evil. I don't, I have no way of knowing. I just know the ones that we, t- we read about in the scripture are evil. They're fallen angels that are over these areas. Okay, you with me so far? And then what did God do? All the nations are scattered and they all have these other angels that I think they begin to worship. They call that one Baal. They call that one Molech. They call that one whatever they want to call them. They all do the same thing, right? It doesn't matter the name of the God or the false God. Paul tells us later on, they're not worshiping real gods. What are they worshiping? Demons. He says, demons. Those are demons. What's another way to call that? Fallen angels, right? But what did God do? Think with me, and historically, what did God do next? He went right into the middle of their territories of all these fallen angels. He went right into the middle of their territory. He went into a place called Ur of the Chaldees, and he spoke to a man who was worshiping these other gods, and he said to him, Abraham, come with me to a land I will show you. So you have the fallen angels affecting fallen mankind and God doing what? Reaching into the middle of all that fallenness and pulling out for himself someone just like everybody else. Just another sinner, right? Wasn't that special about Abraham? He pulls him out and what did he say? I'm going to make my own nation. I'm going to make my own nation out of the midst of the Gentiles. Through which God's going to work his redemptive plan. His redemptive purpose, the coming of Messiah, and the salvation of all who will put their faith and trust in Him. And I think that's what Daniel's given us insight into. So, I believe Messiah saying, look, I'm coming right then, but on my way, this, this Prince of Persia got in my way. Well, what's the Prince of Persia? I think he's one of these fallen angels. I'm not suggesting that that Jesus was fighting with him, or that there was some crazy battle going on. I just saying, Jesus said, I'm not going until this guy's out of my way. So he leans over and he calls another prince. What's the other prince's name? Michael. He says, Michael, let's go. I, I, it's almost time for me to be with Daniel. Does God arrive late? Does God arrive early? Nope, he just comes on time, right? So God's plan was to get there after 21 days, wasn't it? So he waits 21 days. Michael gets rid of the prince of Persia. And he comes to Daniel to explain to Daniel the vision of the things that he has seen. It's called a Deuteronomy 32 worldview. And there's a lot of interesting reading on it. Now, it don't save you or lose you. But you spend time opening the word and let the word of God inform your theology. And all of a sudden your theology is going to go... Oh, wow, that makes sense now. That all starts to fit together. The puzzle pieces begin to come together. So we have several princes, right? We have the the prince of Persia, prince of Tyre, king of Babylon. You have also Michael called the prince of the great people, right? The prince of the great people. So so Michael's the prince of Israel. The, The 
angel who's, who's to watch over. You guys don't believe in guardian angels? So I hope there's a bunch of them following me on that motorcycle. <laughs> Man. An angel's better than a helmet. <clears throat> okay. I have shoes. <laughs> okay, so let's take a look. Daniel, let's keep going. Daniel ten fourteen. <clears throat> so now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So we're looking forward. I, th- I believe Messiah is laying it out for him. So it concerned a future time for Israel. The nation God chose for himself out of all the nations. His own peculiar people to be that that model through which he would bring Messiah, which is his ultimate goal. Now look what happens. You have the enablement for Daniel to receive and understand. Okay, so look at verse 15. So when he had spoken these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. And I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor any breath left in me. So what is it that God does to him? He strengthens him, just like he strengthened John. Do you ever need God to strengthen you? Okay, you're in the most trouble when you think, you know, i got enough strength myself, I'm good. But when you recognize and realize, you know what, I need to be strengthened by God, just like Daniel needed to be strengthened by God. So we want to see, we want to receive this strength that God has for us. In fact, Revelation 1.17 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last. Okay, Daniel 10.18. So first he strengthens him. Second, Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly beloved. So he strengthened him. John's strength left him, but he touches him. His Savior touches him. And when he touches him, what does he do first? he He reassures him of what? His love. He reassures him of his love. Look, man, life's... There's scary days ahead. Man, I'm not going to blow a bunch of smoke at you guys. There's scary days. Crazy things are happening on the horizon. You pay attention to the news? Man, there are wild times. And it's not some strange thing that that the Bible's laying out for us. There's crazy days coming, crazy things going on. And we may have to go through some heartache. And we may have to go through some difficulty. What's the first thing God wants us to know? Even in the midst of all that, when our strength has left us, He wants us to know, I love you. I love you. He wants us to know He'll be our strength and our shield, right? He's going to help us. He's going to deliver us. He's going to be with us. So He touches Him. He reassures Him of His love. Calls him greatly beloved. And then what's he do? He relieves him of his fear. Relieves him of his fear. Now, that doesn't sound like Jesus to you? Think about the darkest day of Jesus' life. He's headed to the cross. And what's he worried about? His disciples. (coughs) So what's he tell them? Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What is it that God wants to do? Not only in those dark, scary times, He wants to let us know that He'll be our strength, that He'll strengthen us. He also wants to reassure us of His love for us, and He wants to make sure we know we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Look, guys, the scariest thing in all the universe is God. Just chew on that for a minute. The scariest thing in all the universe is God. For our God is an all-consuming fire. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You have a right relationship with the God of the universe. You don't have to be afraid of nothing. You don't have to be afraid of anything. Because Jesus Christ... He's our entrance, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except how? Except through me, right? Jesus is our past to the Father. That's the scariest thing. The scariest thing in the universe is not cancer. The scariest thing in the universe is not some accident or some freak thing that may occur or an earthquake or a tornado or a storm. The scariest thing in the universe is to stand before the God of the universe and have rejected his son. That's the scariest place to be. So what's he want us to know? I love you. And you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because you're greatly beloved of God. How are you greatly beloved of God? So many things. So little time. You're greatly beloved of God because Ephesians chapter 1 says that you have been accepted into the beloved. How did I get accepted into the beloved? The beloved is Jesus Christ. How did I get into Jesus Christ? He tells us in in Ephesians chapter 1, somewhere around verse 13, he says, you got in to Jesus Christ when you put your faith and your trust in Him. Then you were forgiven, redeemed, saved, and you have been accepted into the Beloved. You're in Him. So if you're in Jesus Christ, standing before the Father, doesn't become the scariest thing in the universe anymore, right? But if you don't have Him... Man, you don't want to be there on that day. <clears throat> and then he says, he emphasizes the fact that he needs strength. Look what he says. Not only, look, don't be afraid, peace be unto you. <clears throat> but in verse 19, be strong, yes, be strong. He repeats it twice. You think we have need of strength? You think we have need of endurance? You think that, that, that life is going to be hard? Is God promising that, you know what, you come to me and everything's just going to fit. It's all going to be smooth. Smooth sailing. Yeah, I actually heard a preacher say that one time. I was one of the, I was up late at night. You guys ever stay up late at night? Sometimes I can't sleep. It was a long time ago, but that's not to say I don't. Anyways, I was up late and I'm flicking through the channels and I find this, this preacher on in the middle of the night. So I'm watching him. He says, yeah, come on, you need to. 
to trust in Jesus and all your problems will go away. Really? Man, I'm thinking Jesus trusted in the Lord more than anybody and he went to a cross. Didn't he? What's supposed to inform our theology? The Word of God. Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, but he also said, In this world you will have tribulation. That word is thalipsis. Thalipsis. I'll teach you a Greek word today. Thalipsis is crushing. In this world you will have crushing. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The point isn't that all our problems are going to mysteriously vanish. The point is, now you have strength to deal with all your problems. Now you have someone who sticks closer than a brother. Now you have someone who spends eternity, who never sleeps, and always lives to make intercession for you. That means Jesus Christ is praying for you. You think of anything Jesus asked the Father that God didn't give him? If God freely gave us his son won't he give us everything else we need so let me tell you this little tidbit if you got something in your life you don't like god said you need it i i don't like him any better than you do but that's letting the word of god inform our theology right not the other way around the word of god inform our we need to be strong we need endurance. We're in a battle, guys. Daniel chapter 10 is saying, there's a battle out there you don't even see. And it's raging, and all these crazy things are going on. And, and, and there's like four, five chapters in the Bible that they just kind of peel back the veil and let us see. Let us see behind the scenes this, these battles taking place. He says, you need to be strong. Because you're in a battle you don't even know you're fighting. But you're in a battle. Just as much as they are. We are in that battle and we need to be strong. Verse 20, then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. You, you think Jesus just sitting back somewhere on his throne saying, Yeah, it's all good. I'm just, I just wound it all up and I'm waiting for it to all collapse. So then I'll come back. He says, I, I'm going to go fight with the prince of Persia. Why is he going to go fight with the prince of Persia? The prince of Persia is right there where Daniel is. What's that? The Medo-Persian Empire. What is it that, that God said the Medo-Persian Empire would do? The Medo-Persian Empire is going to issue a decree that starts the countdown to Messiah. So he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to fight with the prince of Persia. But the result is going to be a decree is going to be made. And 173,880 days from that decree will be April 6, 32 AD, when I, Jesus Christ, am standing right before Jerusalem as they sing songs, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I, the one who is to inhabit my Father's house, the temple made for me, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to say, My Father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you have made it what? A den of thieves. And then Jesus is going to walk out of the temple and he's going to turn back and he's going to say, See, your house is left to you desolate. 
Just like Ezekiel said, the glory, Ichabod, the glory has departed. Jesus walked out of the temple. He says, I'm going to fight with the prince of Persia because on the exact day that's supposed to happen, it's going to happen. The prince of Persia don't know it yet. But God decreed it. And if God decrees it, what it happens. That's just how it is. And then he says, not only am I going to fight with the prince of Persia, but then he says to him, who else is coming? Greece. What's the next kingdom after the Medo-Persian Empire? The Grecian Empire. There's a famous Greek guy. What's his name? Alexander something, right? Alexander's last name's the Great. Alexander the Great. You know, after Alexander the Great, you know the Bible's going to perfectly describe Alexander the Great in the next chapter. We're going to look at Alexander the Great, his defeat of the world, his conquering of the world, the fact that he's going to die childless, the fact that his kingdom's going to be divided among four, that one of those four is going to be an example of the Antichrist, the little horn. His name's Antiochus Epiphanes. He's going to do battle against the children of Israel. He's going to bring about all this pain and suffering. He's going to defile their temple. There's all this stuff going on. That's why Daniel's seeing it all and he's going, man, this is rugged. But I believe the Messiah is standing before Daniel saying, look, this is how it's going to be. I've got to go. And I'm going to make sure these things happen. Just like I told you they're going to happen. There's not a question. There's not an if. There's not a, I wonder what will happen. But the situation is explained and the conflict is laid out. And in verse 21 he says, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Now, that's not the end. That's just as far as we're going to go today. Because look at the next verse. Chapter, chapter 11, he picks right up. He don't even pause. You know, the chapter divisions we put in so preachers don't preach for four and a half hours on a Sunday. Because there's, <laughs> there's a bunch of stuff still going on. So this is not the end, okay? This is not the end. But he says, look, I want you to know, no one upholds me except Michael, your prince. Now, we know who Michael is, right? You guys remember Michael? Now, I don't want you to start thinking, because because of this concept, we start thinking, oh, well, the, maybe the angels are more powerful than the Lord. No, they're not. What's it say in Jude 9? Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil. So, remember I told you there's scriptures that part the veil and show us a fight? You guys didn't know there was a fight between angels over the body of Moses, did you? Well, you wouldn't have unless Jude told us. <clears throat> Jude said they were contending together. And Michael, they were disputing about the body of Moses, did not bring a reviling accusation, but said only the Lord rebuke you. Look, who's running all this? God is. Yahweh is running it. Yahweh, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we have here the Son, Messiah, standing before the people saying, look... The guy I'm using right now to fight all these battles, that's Michael. I want to see that guy. Michael is a bad dude in the Bible. You know that? Because you know I'm going to read you Revelation chapter 12, right? Before we go, then we're going to leave. Well, okay, I keep, keep going, but we got to get the baptism, so I won't. And I want to see you crazy people flying those boots. So, Revelation chapter 12, listen... Remember I told you there's scriptures. What does God do? He parts the veil. Let's us see. What's the phrase? And war broke out in heaven. When did that happen? I don't know. 
Has it already? Well, something certainly happened when the devil fell, didn't it? I don't know. I don't know. When we get to Revelation chapter 12 on Wednesday night, I'll tell you about it. But, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So that great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels with him. They were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. The power of his Messiah. The power of his Prince. The power of his anointed one. That's what the scripture calls Yeshua, Jesus. The power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony, and that they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come to you, having great wrath, because he knows he has a short time. Veil parts. You get to see a battle. Michael throwing Satan out of heaven. I don't think it's happened yet. I think he's still accusing the brethren. That's what Paul tells us. He's constantly accusing the brethren. But there will be a day. Yeah, there will be a day. I think it coincides when, when God calls his church home calls his church home and there's the devil squawking. You let all these people in, you can't let all these people in. And God's going to be done with him. And he's going to say, Michael, take out the trash. (laughs) And Michael's going to go take out the trash. You see, because when God decrees that something happens, it happens. It happens. So as we look at Daniel chapter 10, I just want you to see, there's a insight into the spiritual battleground leading into the description of the visions we'll see in 11 and 12. Everybody with me? So if you want it to make more sense, you got to keep coming because like, there's so much more to talk about. If you got questions, feel free to holler at me. I'm happy to talk to you guys. Why don't we stand up and let's thank the Lord for our time together.